to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. And in this episode, I will uh, introduce to you uh, the short story Project Nightmare, um, which I just finished reading. Um, It was published in May 1953 in uh, Amazing Stories. Um, So this is the the second of two short stories that Heinlein uh, published in 1953. Uh, like uh, Skylift, it was published in Menace from Earth. So I'm not really seeing a common theme in Menace from Earth. I, I think, you know, that's just the way it is. The short, the short stories collections. I haven't been reading them as the short story collections, um, like many of you might have. I've been reading them chronologically, but some of the short story collections really did seem to have a common theme, like the Green Hills of Earth, which I think is his best collection but uh this one so far it seems it's it's kind of a a a mix maybe just him putting together stories uh that were available they're not yet uh anthologized i guess so anyways um this one is a bit of a of of a return to earlier style highland writings like from the 1940s but it combines the the cold war setting really effectively so we've kind of seen this before with, uh, what's, what's the spy story? Golf, Golf, 1949, where um, that was very much a story of, of, of kind of post-human mutants, people on a higher level, very much like the astounding Heinlein stories, which dealing with like humanity stepping forth into sort of the next generation of, of you know, the, the H plus is, is, is kind of what I'm calling it. This story is not quite as extreme in that because it's, it's sticking more with uh, a pretty concrete set of, of psychic abilities like telekinesis and, and psychic abilities, but particularly Teak is the most important one in this particular story. Now, you probably heard of stories of the CIA and the DOD investigating in paranormal abilities for espionage use during the Cold War era. You know, I'm sure quite a lot of that went on. I haven't really researched it myself, but I've, I've heard stories about it, and, and I'm, I'm convinced something like that was going on. I just don't think there's probably much to show for it, but apparently this was done by both sides. I don't know how much of that Heinlein knew about when he wrote the story, but it, it does fit in if you're a science fiction writer and you're in the Cold War, you might think, well, why not combine these 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 things? Because they do seem to go well together. When you have the spy versus spy dynamic, why not throw in people with psychic abilities or telekinesis or, or things like that? Um, you know, that's that's a common trope in, in, in science fiction. You know, how would states use uh, people with these abilities, right? Uh, I've read a lot of Stephen King, and Stephen King very much was interested in this idea as well in Firestarter. Of course, in the Dark Tower, you, it's not the state really using it, but you, you have the use of the breakers in, uh, extensively in that series. Um, the Institute, that's, that's an interesting book, actually, if you haven't read The Institute. Um, it's one of his more recent books, but The Institute is really emphasizing kind of um, the, this kind of program like this in its decay stage where it's just kind of running on its own momentum and it doesn't really seem to have a purpose or a function anymore but they're still just collecting kids 
and and using them for nefarious purposes. But everything's kind of run down and decaying. The building's not swept. It's kind of particularly cruel because there's not like a a goal, a very clear goal, like there would have been in the Cold War. Now in this story, we of course do have a very clear goal because it's set in the Cold War. So, anyways, uh, with that. Uh, out of the way, let's, uh, I guess, just jump into Project Nightmare. It's actually a good name for it because it is rather ominous and, and the story is meant to be. Um, you know, even though we sympathize with the United States or we're meant to sympathize with the United States in this, the Soviet Union is presented in pretty b- barbaric uh, terms. It's not given any nuance. We don't get any characters from their point of view. They're just actually presented more like terrorists than anything else without any clear, like, strategy or, or, or policy. It's not the most uh, interesting view. I think we actually get a better view of that in the Puppet Masters, um, where we get some kind of insight into behind the, the the Iron Curtain. But here, it's it's pretty much there just, there could have been any bad guy. It could have been another planet, right? It could have been aliens on Mars, or it could have been the settlers on Mars. It could have been anything else. It, it could have fit into the future history series, I suppose, in some way. But no, this is a much smaller, just uh, Cold War story. Um, you can really kind of tell with, uh, there are, there's five stories after this, I, I think. Um, and I know All You Zombies is, of course, a good one, a major one. But we don't see that the world building that we saw with the Green Hills of Earth stories. We it, These are just like different ideas he had. You could tell he's kind of wrapping up his short story writing, and he's going to focus on the novels. Um, and that's where we're, our focus in the series is going to go increasingly as we move forward. But it does feel kind of small compared to even some of the short stories we read before. But that said, it's not quite as small as Skylift. Uh, I think this one has a little bit more, um, a little more juice in it, a little more interest. Um, but not quite reaching the levels of something like... Uh, uh, like the year of the jackpot, I think, or um, yeah, I think that's a good example of a of a later short story that I think really packs a punch. The man who sold the moon, I think, fits in that too, even though that's more of a short novel. Um, anyways, um, what we have here in Project Nightmare is basically the government investigating um, teak, tell uh, like psychic abilities of various types, particularly telekinesis among just common people. Um, so they're being brought in and recruited for that. And they're testing people to see that habit, identifying who has these abilities. Um, and then, then the story moves to taking the people who demonstrated some telekinesis ability and then teaching them to manipulate subatomic particles, right? Which, of course, is kind of an interesting idea. I think Babylon 5 actually did a, a thing about this when there was... Um, of course, that had the side court, but there was a small percentage of those people who were teaks, and they were trying to be recruited to be like assassins who could like burst capillaries and stuff. Um, I think that was just like one episode. But, you know, the idea of using teak at a subatomic level is kind of interesting in terms of physics. Like, I haven't seen this really explored before because um, obviously, I guess a lot of teak deals with energy. So, you know, a lot of superpowers deal with energy. If you think of like the Marvel movies where you just have like these different colored light beams shooting at each other, obviously they're kind of must be in some way manipulating subatomic particles. But usually when we think of teak, we think of like lifting the rock, right? Like the force or something. But but the idea of using telekinesis to 
interact at the quantum level is kind of interesting, and it really asks questions about what this this could be. Um, basically, Heinlein here is saying, "Well, why not?" Right? Um, you know, and I'll let the quantum physicists speculate a little bit more on this. If you know, if Teak works on one way in our Newtonian universe, is it gonna like? Could it still work in the in you know in the subatomic? the quantum level, you know, I don't know, but that's kind of what we're going for here. And Heinlein just sort of runs with that. And so the idea is that like bombs could be set off, nuclear bombs could be set off, or actually nuclear explosions could be triggered entirely from visible material, I suppose, or, or maybe even anything, right? If this ability really exists, why not just any rock could be a nuclear bomb? It doesn't go that we actually have bombs here, but, um, the idea is like if you have the material, you don't actually need the triggering mechanism. The triggering mechanism can be the, the teak, the, the person with the telekinetic ability who will be able to do it from long distances. So, so the story begins. Actually, the story begins and ends with the United States as a kind of the aggressor in this arms race of, of using teak. Now, this, we don't get much evidence that the Soviets are making any progress in this regard, um, but... It would, that would have made it a better story, actually, if we end up more with a kind of a, a spy versus spy or a, an arms race of, of using psychic abilities. That'd be really cool. We don't quite get that. Instead, we get the United States beginning the story, trying to figure out a way to use their these people's talents. And they're just average people. They're not college educated. They're not trained. They're just people rounded up who had these abilities. They're just these specials but using their abilities to trigger bombs, right? But then this all changes a few pages into the story when the Soviet Union plants like 40 bombs around an American cities, around different American cities, one per major American city. And the, the demand is so stupid. It's like not well thought out here. I, I think there's, there's a lot of potential here that, that Heinlein just sort of, you know, lazily kind of, wrote out. Um, but the demand here is just become a Soviet socialist republic and then we won't blow up your country. It, it seems a rather mm -hmm. uh, not very creative demand there. Um, but that's what happens. So first question is, is this real? They have to take it seriously, of course. And then the, 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 the psychics get repurposed from being an offensive weapon to being a, a defender. And so they use their abilities because they're also clairvoyant. You know, they have to be for this to work. They have clairvoyance, meaning they can see uh, things and know things, and they have the telekinetic ability to now stop the bombs. So they, become, they, they shift to defensive weapon. Maybe that's the point here. Nuclear weapons can be defensive or offensive. In this case, the people with psychic abilities can be offensive or defensive and and maybe that's just what the story is trying to do so anyways then most of the story from this point on is simply the logistics of using these clairvoyant teaks to stop the bombs and you know there each one is kind of associated with particular cities that they know that they visited that they've been in before that they have some familiarity with. Um, the assumption is that there's just one bomb per city, except for like New York and Washington, where they double up uh, and, and, and they seek, seek the, 
seek the cities and uh, or they seek the bombs in the cities. And, you know, I think Heinlein does spend his time here showing that, you know, this is it seems like an easy solution. But in practice, there's a limited number of these individuals and they're not really military trained and they're put under incredible stress for long hours and they really can never like rest. So there has to be like a rotation there. And this puts a strain on their their abilities and their abilities to be effective and they're just, you know, sometimes they just get washed up and, and too tired and they have to rest and then people have to like watch two cities to make up for that. Um, but, uh, and this leads to a catastrophe because Cleveland is destroyed in the course of the story um, because of, of mistakes, but the other bombs are, are located. And that's basically what we get in the story. Um, and then at the end, the the retaliation comes. So if we kind of see this as a first strike by the Soviets using uh, this, you know, this, this method of planting bombs and then threatening to set them off, the, the U.S. response is then to then take these teaks and use their abilities, their clairvoyant abilities and their telekinesis to turn on the Soviets and, and, and set off their own bombs in the Soviet Union. Or is it to set off or just do the same kind of thing? I think it's maybe just setting off the, the Soviets' own bombs. Right? But the story ends very bleak this way, that there, there's going to be a war because of this attack. And, and it, to be fair, this, the, there was this attack on the United States. Cleveland was destroyed, you know, millions dead. And, you know, the attempt was a lot greater than that. So um, I don't know. You can weigh the morality of it. It's just a story. But... Um, what's interesting to me is the just the parallels with the Cold War itself. The nuclear weapons themselves are sort of secondary because we're kind of told that these guys, if good enough, could just set off nuclear explosions basically by will. Um, I actually don't think you even need the bombs. That'd be even more interesting as if it was just someone with teak could go to the subatomic and start... Um, fission reactions among any material, right? That could be really kind of, you know, what would that mean for society? What would that mean for, you know, security? What would that mean for, you know, the military? All those kinds of questions are there. But in this story, we still need the bomb. The bomb still needs to be there. But, you know, I guess that's really what the story is. Um, now, Heinlein doesn't really investigate the ethics of this very well. Um, the closest we get is maybe the overuse of the of the clairvoyance, where they're put under a lot of stress and work long hours, and they're not really used to this, and this is dealt with. He spends a lot more time on that aspect of it and the the human resources question than he does maybe on the ethics or the politics or the the, the ramifications of this. But it, it's one of those things. Like I think what's really the story is really missing is maybe the other side of this, that the Soviets would have their own clairvoyance and antiques and that they would, you know, in a sense, be locked in a, you know, in a cold war of, of, you know, of how these psychic abilities are used for defense or offense in a, in a kind of a cat and mouse game. But for, I mean, from our perspective, you know, 60 years after this or 70 years after the story is written, that's a little, you know, we've seen that it's been done. 
So it's not that interesting, but I don't know if at the time, you know, I, I guess I haven't read enough of the other science fiction from this period to really be commanding on this question, but to what degree is Heinlein being original here and what degree is he copying others? Um, obviously, there's a lot of science fiction written already by this point that dealt with the Cold War. So um, anyways, that's it. I, I do think this is more interesting than, than Skylift. There's a lot more going on. I think Skylift is a little bit more interesting on the utilitarian ethics of it all. This one on the ramifications of psychic abilities for the Cold War. Uh, it's a contribution. I think it's, it's, it's an important story. It has its place. Um, but, you know, I, I really get this feeling that the stories are, are less the center of where Heinlein's like focus is. He seems to be doing much more interesting things in his, in his stories. Or in his novels, I mean. So, coming to that, uh, the so this brings us to the end of 1953, and so we can begin 1954, where we'll look at the Star Beast. Uh, we'll spend two episodes looking at the Star Beast, and I don't believe there are any short stories. So it'll be we'll do two episodes on Star Beast, and then jump immediately to Tunnel in the Sky, um, and. And then, and then I think right from there, it's a time, time for the stars. So I think we're going to do ju three juveniles in a row before we get to another short story, maybe even four. So that's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I really do like these juveniles. And we're coming to, we're, 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 I think we've looked at seven of them already. So I think we got five more, but then Starship Troopers and Potkin in, in, on Mars are kind of like the Asterix juveniles, but um, five official juveniles are, are left. So we're coming to the end of that series too. Um, great. Um, so I'm really looking forward to kind of just focus on the novels. These stories get uh, kind of feel like bookkeeping at this point, uh, but I'll get through them. Um, if there's any, there might be a few I've, I've skipped. I know I, the, the Potkin ones. Uh, I couldn't find some copies of some of them, so, but oh well, they're not a big deal. Maybe we'll talk about that more when we get to Potkane, um, Potkane on Mars. So anyways, that's it for now. I will see you next time when we talk about the Star Beast. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.